This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Nervous? Yes. First time? No, I've been nervous lots of times. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what tricks do you use to save money? I use a simple one. I try never to make any money so I don't have to worry about saving it. But here with slightly different and inferior tricks, I might add, we welcome from the new Poor Not Poor podcast, Joel Larsgaard. And from LenPenzo.com, Kylie Jenner. (laughs) I'm just kidding. She's too busy Instagramming about us mentioning her. It's actually just Len Penzo. And from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. On today's show, We'll take a Bloom hotline call from Lauren about affording a family, answer a letter from Sarah about tightening the budget, and still have time for my trivia. Oh, and I almost forgot, we're going to have a segment where we learn about real estate fintech from Equity Multiple. Interested in diversified commercial real estate? Stay tuned, because that's what they're all about. And now, a guy who's all about the real estate at this card table, Joe Saul Seahawk. This is very, very valuable real estate. Hey, everybody. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Some people call this a vintage card table that I'm sitting at, right? That's what we call it when uh, we're trying to sell it for a lot of money. And I'm going to try to sell you on these awesome people. (laughs) We'll start in Los Angeles, California, where Mr. Len Penzo joins us deep below the city. How are you, Mr. Penzo? You know, I'm really hunkered down today, Joe, because, you know, I got a I got an email today from Bank of America that said security alert, unusual activity detected in your account. Uh Oh, And I realized. Yeah. But, I, you know, I realized one thing you're I using an account with Bank of America. <laughs> so I, th- I thought you were I thought you were going to say. And then I realized I was using Bank of America. And that was the, that was the whole issue right there. Actually, it's I don't have a Bank of America account. Yes. And then you realize the scam is on, Len. They almost got you. They almost. They yes. Almost, they always go. God, f- it wasn't a bank that uh, I actually do have. I probably would have clicked right on it. You know, they always go for the old guys in those scams. How do they know I'm old? Oh, the Russians know everything about you. Speaking of somebody that knows everything about everybody, that's just a horrible, horrible transition. In the desert of Las Vegas, where I'm going to be in just a couple weeks, it's Paula Pant from Afford Anything. I was thinking your vintage card table is covered in vintages. It is. <laughs> wine vintages. Wine. It is covered in wine vintages today. Mm, and it smells fantastic. You are not drinking wine, though. 
You're drinking something uh, far less sexy. I am drinking a diet ginger ale. That's get, what's getting me through powering today's show. They get crazy at the at the pant household. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, Las Vegas is not really known for having anything uh, alcoholic to no, drink. Not at all. So, not known no, about that. Actually, no, true story. I decided that the year 2018, my New Year's resolution is to take a year off from drinking. So, so far, so good. Well, looks like, Len, we're going to be drinking for two then. You better be careful, Paul. Three days and you're you're done. Everybody needs – you can only go three days without drinking water. Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> and that beer that Lempenzo drinks is water. <laughs> it totally is water. And a guy who knows beer, by the way, speaking of alcoholic beverages, from the fine town of Hotlanta, Georgia, it's our good friend Joel Larsgaard. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Glad to be here. And I am going to drink double the beer this year uh, in honor of Paula. That's fantastic. <laughs> He's Joel's going to create that uh, beer baby, right? The beer baby belly. Exactly. Exactly. I'll show it to you later. <laughs> it's the whole. I don't want to see it. I really don't. You know what happened? If I saw it, Joel, I might have to sue you, and I don't want to do that. And that's a great way to say thanks to Legal Zoom. The stone. It's a great way to say thanks to LegalZoom for supporting Stacking Benjamins. It's almost National Small Business Month at LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom's not a law firm, but their network of independent attorneys can provide the legal advice your business needs when Joel Larsgaard shows you his belly. Keep listening for more valuable resources and use code SB for special savings at LegalZoom.com. We're also brought to you by MagnifyMoney.com. You know, Mr. Penzo, the average person saves $450 when they stop at Magnify Money. Did you know that? Wow. No, that's 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 awesome. That's a big amount of money. So if you've got the wrong checking account, savings account, maybe the wrong credit card strategy, you need to uh, refinance those student loans. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnified money where they have over 92% of all the different financial products online wherever they compete. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnified money. We have Joel Larsgaard here, so we got to keep it professional, guys. It's got to be a great show with Joel here. <laughs> yes. By the way, Joel, I didn't ask... I didn't ask you about your new show. Your new show is all about beer. Poor not poor. What's that about? Yeah, man. So we're combining two of my favorite things, the love of craft beer and talking about money. Uh, so my best friend, Matt, and I, we get together once a week. And really, more than anything, it's just an excuse to drink and talk and hang out. Uh, and then we put it online for other people to listen to. So, yeah, you could check it out. Poor not poor. That's that's Lampenzo's. Is this a great country or what? <laughs> I, I mean, is this a... Boy, what, what, when I was your guys' age... We, we had to drink alone, basically. We, we couldn't share with everybody else. Well, Len, now I can tell my wife, no, babe, I got to go create a podcast. That's right. uh, and really, it's just an excuse to drink beer and talk about it. That's awesome. Hey, that, that's great. God bless you. Thanks for saving that, Joel, because I was sure that Uncle Len was going to say on his horse and buggy on the way into town, they'd have to, they'd have to uh, find a way to drink and ride the, I don't know. Uphill the school both ways, huh? <laughs> That's exactly yeah. it. All right, we got a great show, so let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first piece comes to us from the blog Cash Fasting. The secret to saving money is tricking yourself into being poor. 
Jane, who blogs at Cash Fasting, says, in the three years since graduation, my net worth has increased $100,000. I may have started with a negative number in 2014, but that's no longer the case because I'm debt-free. This only happened because I put as much money to savings and debt repayment as possible. Let's talk about this, Paula Pant. Apparently, Jane says, tricking yourself that you don't have money when you do is the key to success. Do you agree with that? I do. Like the idea is, you know, money, once money is out of sight, it's out of mind. So if you can hide it from yourself, if you can forget that you have it, then you are less likely to spend it. So one way to do that is by uh, when you get paid, automatically divert some portion of your paycheck outside of the normal checking account you use. You could put it in a savings account that's at a different institution. You could put it into retirement accounts, HSAs. Uh, you could put it into just a different checking account at a different institution. But whatever you do, have one main account and then hide money from yourself in other places as well. Joel, I think what uh, Paula is saying is it's automation for the win. Yeah, I mean, I think if Paula wants to hide it under my mattress, her extra money, that'd be a great place, I think, to put it. Uh, no complaints yeah, no, there. Think, right, yeah. So I definitely think uh, hiding money from yourself is a great strategy. And sometimes uh, I think one good way to do that is, let's say you get paid an extra bonus or something quarterly to not factor that into your budget. And so when that comes into your account, you're not even thinking about how to spend it. It's automatically being able to be diverted into savings. And again, another great way to do that is to add more into your 401k uh, that comes straight out of your paycheck. You kind of forget that you're making that money. So I'm all about not factoring in all the money you make into your budget and kind of secretly saving those things because money is so much about psychology. And if we can kind of overcome some of that psychological factor of I've got it, I've got to spend it, by hiding it from ourselves, I think it's a great way to approach uh, some of your extra money. So let's say, Joel, in your house, you get that bonus, that quarterly extra money that you didn't expect. In your house in particular, I'm not talking about advice to other people. What do you do with that money? So I actually do get like a small quarterly bonus and it goes straight into my savings account. Over time, that savings account builds up. And as we build it up, we put more into our Roth IRA every year. So we put it straight into the savings account, and then once we get enough, we continually put more into the Roth. Len, I like this thing that Joel's talking about, about divorcing the amount of money you make from the amount of money you spend. Like, you see all these households out there, right? They make X amount of money, so they think that I got to spend 90 95% of that or whatever, maybe 105% of that. Yeah, the more you can hide, the better it is. And you do the same thing with your raises, too. I mean, when you get that raise, immediately... Set, if you can, put it towards your uh, 401k, for example, so you don't even see it for that year if you can do it. So, I mean, it's, I mean, what's, it's already been, everything's already been said. You, the, the more you can hide and put aside, it's less for you to spend. Before you know it, you're saving tons of money. You're like, where did all this come from? But I know the truth at the Penzo house, which is the honeybee rules the roost there, right? So you, you just tell her you make a different amount of money than you really do, don't you? That's what really well, happens. No, the honey. Hey, the honeybee is the CFO. So you know what? I, I make the money, and it comes in, and then she's the one who manages it all. So I'll be honest with you, I don't see anything really. It just kind of runs itself. So you know, I don't worry about that stuff. I, I I'm totally oblivious to what we got. <laughs> I like this. I like this idea, Paula, ignoring that Len has no clue about his money situation, <laughs> and he's on this podcast every week. We'll, we'll, we'll go. Over, yeah. Yeah. The podcast where you're not supposed to learn anything. I mean, even even the guests themselves don't know what's going oh, on in their own home. I, got no I, guess, clue. I, I guess I can. I check on a monthly basis. How's that? And we just kind of look and make sure we're in the black. But that that's it. I that's uh, the day to day management is not my 
it's not my shtick. Yeah, Led Penzo says to the honeybee every night we record this goes, I, I fooled him another week, apparently. They, they still think I know what I'm doing. Paula, but in the case of cash fasting here, in the case of Jane, you know, she's pretending like she's poor. But how long do you pretend like you're poor, right? I mean, there comes a point where you don't have to be poor. You can you can live a little. Yeah, well, I, th- I think the the phrase pretend like you're poor is a little bit of a clickbait phrase. You know, it's a good headline, but I don't think that she actually means live at such a standard that you are in transitional Section 8 housing and you're trying to, you know, like, I, I don't think that she's talking about the extreme of literally being poor. But would you go Which, that far? But, but wait a minute, would you go, if, if, if you had tons of debt, you know, and you just want to be out of debt today, would you go well, that far? Oh, I think I have gone that far. I mean, some you should see some of the leap that I have done. <laughs> like, I've lived in houses with, I think, I think at our max, we maxed out at maybe somewhere between six to eight roommates. When I moved to Atlanta, for example, we had five people living in a three-bedroom house. Not even a house. We had five people living in a three-bedroom, tiny little place in a apartment thing. You know, uh, I drove a $400 car, you know, for a long time. Like when I was in college, I would read the health advice that says like, eat more protein, eat more vegetables. And I was like, what are you talking about? That stuff's expensive. <laughs> so I ate a lot of spaghetti. And granted, I was in college. I was living on a budget of a thousand dollars per month because I, I made $13 an hour and I worked 20 hours a week. So that was what I had to live on. So yeah. So I think I have gone to those extremes, so the answer is yes. Yeah, so I don't know that it's a clickbaity because she said she had lots of debt, so she pretended like she was poor. I mean, it can be clickbaity, but I don't think in this case it really is. Right, right. But to your question was, you know, how long do you keep doing that? You can apply the general idea of automating money away and tricking yourself into thinking that you earn less than you do. You can apply that idea without literally having to at the same standard as like the bottom 30th percentile. I want to skip down here to the bottom of the piece, Joel, for a second, because it says, always know the balance of your spending accounts. This is really referring to your checking and credit card accounts. It's funny because Lem was talking about the fact that he fools himself by not checking, right? By not knowing. And I know a lot of people, when I was a financial planner, if I told them how much money they had in their mutual fund, they would automatically come up with an emergency that equaled that amount of money, right? So the key was, they would tell me, they're like, don't tell me how much, which was amazing to tell your financial planners, don't tell me how much I have. So do you agree with this? Know the balance of your spending accounts or, or do you hide it from yourself? No, I would say know the balance of your spending accounts. I think when it comes to your retirement accounts, it's something a little bit different. I mean, I think John Bogle would say contribute to your retirement accounts for 40 years and never check the balances and then you'll be amazed at how much money you have at the end. That's a great way to do it when it comes to retirement accounts. But in regards to your spending accounts, I mean, I think it's crucial to know how much you have in there to spend on a monthly basis because there's a good chance that you could create withdrawal penalties at your bank if you don't. Um, if you overspend. So you definitely want to be conscious of how much you have available to spend, but you also want that baseline to be growing. So as your income, uh, as you get more paychecks, uh, as your monthly paychecks increase, hopefully as you're getting raises and stuff over time, you want that line to be increasing. And so on Mint, I kind of have this easy glance, right? I see exactly how much money I have in my accounts and I see exactly how much money I owe on my credit cards, which I pay off every month. Then it gives me a good baseline. Okay, cool. I'm plus $10,000 this month. You know what? Next month, I want to be plus $12,000. And so it kind of helps me 
quickly monitor, get a quick glance at what's going on in my savings and checking accounts. And so I can kind of work on that from there and get better. You kind of gamify it too, it sounds like. You kind of have to consider it to be a game because like we talked about earlier, it's a little psychological, right? Like money, there's a lot of psychology involved in money. And so if you can't kind of think of it like a game, I think it's going to become really boring really quickly and hard to maintain. Len, he's losing five points in his game by being on the show. (laughs) What what is he doing? Let's move on to our second piece, which is uh, from USA Today. This is from uh, Susan Tompor at the uh, Detroit Free Press. Five myths about your 2017 tax refund and what not to do if you want it quicker. Paula Pant, what don't you do if you're shaking over that refund right now? Don't start making phone calls to your accountant or to the IRS. Any number of phone calls that you make will just waste your time, clog the system, and not get you the refund any faster. Paula, I could just imagine you on the phone. Where's my refund? Like, <laughs> I would never do that in a million years. I got to have it right now. Drunk on diet ginger ale. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> She's all hopped up on sugar, calling the IRS over and over. Damn it. Yeah, these other myths, Len, that we look at, uh, number two, all refunds are being delayed. That's not true. Number three, all deductions are going to be eliminated next year. That's not true. It's amazing how much, Len, people know about how the tax system works. Yeah, but but you know what? I can see the confusion here because, you know, we got the new tax plan that's that's going through. And a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that the tax changes applied to the past tax year, and they don't. They apply to the coming tax year. So I can see where people see certain things and they they misunderstand. So especially on the uh, deductions thing. So they get confused. Yeah. Uh, Joel, how often do you change your withholding? Because myth number four here is bigger paychecks mean you don't have to tinker with your withholding. Sure. Yeah. I think it's good to, based on the refund that you get this year, then to tinker with it right after that. So let's say you got a big tax refund. Uh, You don't want a big tax refund. It's not a good thing. And it's not even just because of the general rule that people say of, well, the bigger refund you get means the that you gave an interest-free loan to the government. I'm I don't I'm not a big buyer into that. The biggest reason I think that is a major issue for people getting big refunds is potential identity theft and people stealing that mm. refund and you not being able to get access to it for 18, maybe 24 months from the IRS. And so you want to make sure that you're getting as small of a refund as possible or paying just a little bit. So if you get a $3,000 refund, calculate that out over how many paychecks you receive a year and change your withholding so that you're getting close to as close to zero as possible. Imagine how many diet ginger ales Paula Pantwood could have on $3,000 refund. I'd, I'd estimate approximately 3,000 two-liter bottles, so 6,000 liters. <laughs> oh, my goodness. One other thing, when it comes to people getting the refunds, a lot of people are getting the refunds really quickly. There's this mantra out there or thought process out there that it's going to take forever to get your refund. And so, you know what, I should take out one of those refund loans from one of the tax preparers. And that screws people over. They end up paying fees, interest rates on that money that they're just going to get probably a week and a half to two weeks later from the federal government. The refunds are not being delayed. So wait the two weeks, keep all of your own money and don't pay fees on that just to get it a couple weeks sooner. Isn't it scary that people are that, it, it just, I, I see that well, like when I walk into a Walmart, I see, hey, refund anticipation loan. <laughs> Why? If if I need a refund anticipation loan, Len, I, I might have bigger problems than uh, not getting my refund fast enough. Boy, I'll say, and I'll tell you what, I got my refund, it, it was under a week. It was really super fast. 
So wow, they're it, turning them around quick. How much diet ginger ale did you buy with that? <laughs> a lot. Let me tell you that you know if if Paul's going to drink six thousand liters of diet ginger ale, she's probably going to whatever savings she blew on the uh, ginger ale. It's also going to double it because of the water bill. If you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paula. <laughs> Uh, how much do you pay attention to the tax code? Because all of these, I, I look at this. I you were going to ask, how much do you pay in your water bill? <laughs> yeah, that's right. How much do you pay in your water bill? Yeah, that would be serious follow-up questioning here. I'm actually going to change the topic back to taxes. But how closely do you follow things like next year's tax law change? Well, in this specific instance, I have not looked into the details too much. But broadly speaking, I like to stay in touch with what's going on in tax laws, largely because I'm a business owner. And as a business owner, I think it's even more important to know what's happening so that you can plan out your business spending accordingly. Yeah. So knowing ahead of time what, what you can deduct, what you can write off, what you can't. Yeah, exactly. What, yeah. you know, what you deduct versus what you'd appreciate right. and, you know, just, just planning out what the taxes on your business are going to be because that's a whole different can of worms. I think that's the most important part of tax planning. I think everybody thinks about putting Humpty Dumpty together when they get their tax forms in. And it really is about planning long-term so that when you get your tax forms, they're already set up and ready to go. But let's, let's uh, go last words, the big takeaways for people. So we've got our two pieces, the five myths about your tax refunds and about taxes and, uh, the secret to saving money. Uh, Paula, big takeaways? That putting Humpty Dumpty together is a really cool analogy. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you that's much. what I got out of this. That's the, if that's all, my work here's done. That's it. Uh, Len Penzo? Hey, automation. That's the best way to hide your uh, money if you uh, don't want to spend it prematurely, I guess. And, uh, you know, uh, be careful when you're doing your taxes. Don't make uh, brash assumptions and don't call the IRS for your <laughs> refund. Save your time. Joel, we'll give you the last uh, word, Mr. Larsgaard. Yeah, money is psychological. And so whatever you can do to trick yourself into saving more, spending less, and figuring out how to allocate that money more appropriately, trick yourself because we're stupid and we like to make dumb decisions. So do it the right way. Well, as anyone who's listened to the show for any period of time knows, I'm excited about real estate and I, I get excited about all of the innovation in real estate companies. And today's segment is no exception. Uh, we're going to talk to Charles Clinton from Equity Multiple. Equity Multiple is a company that takes some of these mid-level deals for real estate and packages them up so that smaller investors like you and I that we can actually take part in some of these investors that historically have been things that the uber wealthy only have been able to do. And I'm sure Charles will tell us more about that. But Charles co-founded Equity Multiple in 2015. Uh, since inception, they financed over 40 projects across the country. Prior to Equity Multiple, he was a real estate attorney with Simpson, Thatcher and Bartlett, where he worked on a variety of major transactions for some private equity clients, primarily Blackstone and KKR, some of the big players in this area. Uh, he also worked at over 10,000. Take that back. What am I talking about? 10,000, 10 billion dollars in transaction in transactions. He received his uh, JD and business law certificate from Berkeley Law and his bachelor's degree from Amherst College. He's captain of the swim team, the water polo team. But right now he's headed down to the basement to talk real estate with us. Please help us welcome Charles Clinton from Equity Multiple. 
and Charles Clinton coming down the stairs. How are you, man? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love talking real estate, like as I guess you do. But how did you guys start Equity Multiple? I love hearing founders' origin stories. Was this something that you saw in the marketplace or was it a particular frustration you had on your own? Really a combination of things. You know, so I was a real estate attorney uh, for several years before getting into this mostly for big private equity clients, Blackstone, KKR, kind of all the big giants. But when it came to, you know, investing my own money, wanting to put some money into real estate and putting that to work, I looked around at my options and just shocked by how how limited it was. Even though I was working with all these kind of real estate giants, if I wanted to put some money in myself, you know, really my options were were limited to, you know, finding a friend or two and and buying a brownstone in Brooklyn and trying to flip it and you know, doing that uh, really traditional kind of, um, you know, entrepreneurial, uh, I'm going to make this happen on one little property. And sitting where I was on a daily basis and, and dealing with these bigger companies and seeing how much they were allocating into real estate, it just seemed like there was, you know, a mismatch. Around this same time is when the Jobs Act got passed. So basically, series of legislative changes, which I will not bore you or your listeners on. But <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> big, big picture, you know, it made it easy for businesses like mine to kind of grow and exist so that we could take what used to be very private kind of offline real estate transactions and open them up, put them on the Internet, provide transparency and uh, really open them up to to new investors uh, who never would have had the chance to see them before. You know, in combination of my kind of personal experience thinking about it as an investor and then this new change in the market, you know, I just saw an opportunity and, and jumped at it. Can individuals, though, still today, Charles, get the same deals that those big players you were talking about get or are the deals still a little different? You know, I think right now you're seeing that the deals certainly that we're working on and that a lot of investors, uh, a lot of other companies like ours are working on are smaller. You know, they're not the billion dollar deals, right? We're, we're doing deals that tend to fall in the, the 10 to $30 million range. And, you know, that's a space that we really, really like because, you know, frankly, it's, it's kind of in between, you know, what someone's doing themselves, the kind of mom and pop investor, and then what the, the big companies who are all competing against each other are doing. So, you know, we see in that kind of ground between 10 million and $30 million investment size, it's a huge portion of the market and it's really underserved. So you can find some returns there that I think mm. kind of beat beat the mom and pop and the kind of top end big project returns. You're saying these might be attractive because they're too small for the big boys. Absolutely. At the end of the day, there's so much competition for you know someone buying an office tower in, in Manhattan that you know they're bidding up the price against each other. Um, in that kind of middle market, uh, you just have a ton of, of of volume. You have so many buildings that you know, sell for that kind of price and just much less kind of institutional capital chasing it. So there is a lot of opportunity for investors who are able to find kind of a slot in there to make, uh, you know, some outsized returns. That's cool. Let's talk then about how equity multiple works. And if somebody's interested in real estate, why would they turn to equity multiple versus, you know, going out and maybe trying to buy one of those places themselves? I think there's a lot of reasons. One is everyone should respect the time value of, of themselves, right? And at the end of the day, um, if you are, you know, you make money as a doctor, or a lawyer, an executive in tech or advertising or whatever the case may be, you have an expertise and the odds are that expertise is not going out and finding a building and fixing it up and renting it out and dealing with management. So at its core, 
you know, it, there's something to be said for leaving things to professionals and paying something for, for that service. I think the other piece is, you know, diversification, right? So if you're going to go out and buy an individual property yourself, you're taking a big bet into one property. And I think part of what, you know, we're able to offer is just an easy platform for diversification into real estate. So, you know, our minimum investment typically is five or $10,000 per, per deal. So if you have $200,000 that you would invest into one property, typically, now you can invest it into 10 or 20. And you can get really a, a portfolio and all the kind of benefits that go along with that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And that was the part that was always scary for me with people that were beginning to invest in real estate is that, man, that one, that one real estate bet they make, Charles, that that maybe went wrong. It was it was big trouble where this way they can get into several different ones. Absolutely. And we're really doing a lot of the upfront work for you as the investor, too. Right. So, you know, we see hundreds and hundreds of projects every month. We're putting on about one project for every 20 that comes across our desk. So we're really doing a lot of that hard front end, you know, doing the due diligence, sorting through things that are really just not worth the time for investors. So by the time something, you know, is on our platform and in front of an investor to actually invest in, it's gone through really a rigorous process to get there. So I'm interested in real estate. I had to equitymultiple.com. Tell me from there as someone using your service, uh, take me through it. What happens? You know, we really set up the whole thing to be very simple. So it's honestly, it's like setting up a brokerage account. You know, you come on, you give us some basic personal information, you link up your bank account. And then from there, every time we have a new investment opportunity, you'll get an email saying, hey, log on, check this out if you're interested. From there, you'll see pages of description of what the business plan is, what the timeline is, you know, how you expect to make money, what the returns look like who are the people behind the project, what's their experience and track record. And if you want to move forward and invest, it's as simple as, you know, you hit a button and then from there, everything's electronic. You sign some paperwork, you transfer money. And, you know, once you're actually invested in the deal, all of it kind of continues to live on our site. So, you know, we stay on top of making sure we're communicating with the property managers. We're getting quarterly reporting. When rents come back in, we distribute those out to you, direct deposit into your bank account. You know, the whole idea is to make this seamless, you know, make it really like a brokerage account for real estate. Yeah. And you've got all kinds of deals uh, at the bottom of the site. I'm looking at uh, one in Hawaii. I, I should go explore that deal for you. If you ever need somebody to do this <laughs> legwork, I don't know how much I know, you know, about looking at it, but I can learn in a hurry if you fly me to Hawaii. I have to say every time we have diligence trips in Hawaii, the uh, a lot of hands go up. <laughs> I, I believe it. Uh, Denton, Texas, not far from me here in Texarkana, Class A student housing in Oxford, Mississippi. These two have closed. Uh, some uh, cash flowing preferred equity multifamily in Houston, West California. You're all over the United States. Yeah, yeah. You know, really like coming back to that point of diversification, part of the way we help diversify is by offering different types of project, whether that's, you know, apartment buildings versus office buildings or whether that's something down in Texas or over in California. We really want and encourage investors to kind of build a portfolio that, uh, you know, is, is, is well diversified and gives them exposure to different parts of the market. And then obviously, I guess the way that you make money, you're a partner in the deal also, or how does that work? Yeah, we're getting paid something at the outset, not by investors, but by the real estate companies who, you know, kind of bring in the deals to us. And then we make a kind of simple, you know, small fee along the way, typically 1% of the amount you invest. Okay. And then uh, for projects that perform well, once you make all your money back, 
we make a small participation of the profit. And when you're showing returns on your site, that already takes into account the fees that uh, an investor pays equity multiple? Absolutely. Everything, everything is net of all fees. One of the things as we approach the business is, look, we're an online business. And part of the benefit of online businesses should be that they're transparent and that they're doing things in a way that's you know, more clear, more open uh, than the generation that came before them. Compared to, hey, someone approaches you and says, hey, do you want to give me $50,000 to invest in this project down at the golf course? Here, everything about fees is laid out clearly, understandably. We have a little button in the corner of our website. If you have a question, there's someone you can you know, chat with in real time or you can pick up the phone and, and give us a call. Really, the name of the game is being straightforward and clear. The last question that I had was that for a lot of real estate programs, you know, people have historically had to be accredited investors. Do I have to be an accredited investor uh, to take advantage of equity multiple? Yes, you do. You do at Good. the moment. You know, I think that there's a, a number of changes that have come with that Jobs Act that I mentioned. Right. Uh, at this point, we're still working with accredited investors. I think that down the road, we'll likely expand that. You know, ultimately, our goal is is to make this more open to a, a bigger group of people. But right now, we're, we're focused on offering for accredited investors. Cool. And if you're an accredited investor and want more, uh, head to equitymultiple.com or to our website, stackybenjamins.com, where we'll have a link in our show notes page. And then, Charles, as you guys get new stuff, because I know that you're always busy creating new, new things, uh, come back and tell us about it. No, I would love to. I really appreciate you uh, having me on. Yeah, thanks a ton for hanging out with us for a few minutes and tell us about Equity Multiple. Anytime. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and boy, oh boy, am I excited about the weekend. It's all-you-can-eat shrimp night down at the Sizzler. And just to prepare my body from this gourmet bounty from the sea, I haven't eaten for three days just to get ready. Before I pass out, let's get you your trivia question, shall we? Here it is. Speaking of shrimp, which U.S. president served the shortest term in office? Just 31 days. That's a shrimpy term. I'll be back with the not-so-shrimpy answer in just a moment. What will your story be in 2018? Now that the holiday rush is over, LegalZoom can help you make this a memorable year before all the distractions take hold. Finally, get serious about launching and running your business. Square away your family's financial future with the right estate plan. You can do all this and more with LegalZoom. LegalZoom's been helping people like you take care of their dreams and responsibilities for more than 16 years. They're not a law firm, but they have the resources to keep you on the right path, including advice from their network of independent attorneys all at your fingertips. LegalZoom plugs right into your life so you can take care of the things that matter most. Go to LegalZoom.com today and get special savings when you enter SB at checkout. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. LegalZoom.com. Hey, stackers, we get used to those same daily routines, don't we? Wake up at the same time every morning, brush our teeth, park the car in the same spot at work every day, recite jokes in the mirror to be funnier than that jerk of the water cooler, or... Is that with just me? Here's one thing you shouldn't make routine, using the same credit card from the same bank just because that's what you've always done. Nick Clements from Magnify Money explains why. I mean, it's never been a better time, honestly, to find a credit card, especially given the lucrative sign-on bonuses that are out there. Chase just recently had 100000 on their reserve card. I, I think we're at a point right now where 
Credit cards are extremely profitable for large banks and they are really wanting to get more customers. And so they're they're rolling out the red carpet. So I would just say if, if you have had a credit card for more than two or three years, chances are there's a much better deal out there for you today. So why stick with that same old card with those rewards that haven't changed in years? You can use MagnifyMoney.com to always find best in class, including better interest rates. And don't only use Magnify Money for credit cards. Nick and the team have built the site from the ground up to help with personal loans, student loans, and mortgages. Average person saves $450 in interest when they hit stackybenjamins.com forward slash Money. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm gearing up for all-you-can-eat shrimp night down at the Sizzler with today's shrimpy trivia question. Which U.S. president served the shortest amount of time, only 31 days? Refusing to wear a coat or a hat during his bitter-cold inauguration address, he gave a two-hour speech and then attended multiple presidential balls. It was William Henry Harrison, the ninth president of the United States, who died of pneumonia at the White House after serving for only 31 days. His successor, John Tyler, was the first individual in U.S. history to reach the office through the death of a president. Remember mom's advice, kids. Wear your coat and hat. And probably don't go three days without eating before the all-you-can-eat shrimp fest. I'm craving just about everything in the fridge, including that jar of capers that's been back there for the last two years. See ya! Paula Pant, you're wrong. It's 31 days. No, it's 32. It's it is. absolutely 32. Google it. I think that you, the information that you have is wrong. How the hell do you think Doug did this? You think Doug came up with that trivia by himself? Of course he, <laughs> of course he Googled it. I'm going to make Paula join me at the trivia night at my local bar. Well, the 31 versus 32, may, I mean, I don't know like how they're counting, you know, like are they counting the day of his death as a day that he served? At, you know, but he was in office for 32 days. He is one of Ohio's eight presidents. I'm from Ohio. This is the reason I know this because we had to study this in our Ohio history class. Ohio had eight presidents. William Henry Harrison was one of them. I love, Len, how our guest for this week, Joel, has so much faith in you. You said it's one of two guys. You said one, so he, so he says the other. I got it wrong twice. <laughs> <laughs> but he has no faith in you. You could have answered correctly, and Joel's like, no, I don't think so. Penzo says this. I took Joel down with me. Sorry, Joel. You shouldn't. How do you like that? I, I, I was wrong twice. I only got one answer and I was still wrong twice. It's, it's all good. My other guess was going to be Barack Obama and I knew that was wrong. <laughs> there, there it was. Yeah. Only in for eight years. Oh, 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 guys. Looks like someone needs help. All three of those O's are sponsored by Bloom. I'm sorry, Len Penzo. There you go. Uh, smart, simple 401k management. Oh. Yes. History.com, William Henry Harrison, 32 days in office. Oh. Boom. Wi Wikipedia, 31 days in office. Bam. You can't trust a source like History.com. That sounds that's right. <laughs> that's like the other regions of the internet. History. What kind of a baloney place is that with a name like that? Uh, do you have a 401k? Remember how frustrating it was deciding how to invest without professional help? Well, there's a better way to grow your 401. Bloom with three O's. I'm sorry, Len. Bloom. Uh, is a smart, simple, and affordable way to grow your 401k. Head online to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Bloom with three O's to find out more. With Bloom, you simply connect your existing 401 a few easy steps and sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account. And that's for free, even if you don't use them. 
and they'll choose the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing hidden investment fees. They believe everybody deserves simple, affordable access to professional help, and getting your investments right doesn't have to be hard, painful, or time-consuming. So, Bloom is so simple. In fact, the hardest part is remembering three O's in Bloom. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Bloom and enter the way-too-easy promo code, Len, SB, SB, for your first month free. Way too easy. And see the difference Bloom can make in your retirement. Today, we're uh, going to throw out the Bloom helpline to our new friend, Lauren. Say hello, Lauren. Hi, Joe and OG. My name is Lauren, and my husband and I got married last year. We're now the victims of the never-ending, when are you going to have a baby, questions at the family functions. My snarky response has always been, when I'm financially ready, years old. So that's my question. How do we become financially ready to have a family? Is there a certain amount we should have in liquid assets in addition to our emergency fund to be fully prepared for all the bumps in the road we may encounter when deciding to have kids? How much do kids really cost? To give you a little bit about our background, we're 25 years old, we live in Western North Carolina, and we make about $100,000 a year. We're paying down our credit card debt at 0% and still owe about $10,000. I have $26,000 in federal student loans with interest rates between 3 and 6%. We have no other debts. We contribute enough to our 401ks to get the employer match, and we're also contributing 10% of our income to funding a three-month emergency fund. I know I won't learn anything from you all, so thanks for nothing. You're welcome for nothing ahead of time, Lauren. Joel, when did Mrs. Joel, well, did Mrs. Joel answer it that way? Did you guys get pestered about when when are the large guards going to have kids? guess we probably did for a little bit there. We had kids pretty early on in marriage. So a few years in, uh, so we've got two girls and I gotta say, you're never financially ready for it, man. Like you can't be financially ready. You got a million dollars in your bank account and you still could like put it off for umpteen reasons. Uh, so sometimes you just got to take the plunge. That's what I was thinking, Len. I don't remember being ready. Were you ready? Uh, money. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't really, uh, maybe because I had a job. Well, if you have a job and yeah, just man, go for it. <laughs> Len sounds like Len's playing the Barry White music for Lauren. <laughs> I know. What are you waiting for, man? You, you have a hundred thousand a year. You got thirty six thousand dollars in debt, and uh, you got an emergency fund. You're saving for your. I mean, what are you waiting for? Kids cost money, but they're not that expensive. I mean, come on. But Paula, she's they're not that. Ex- did you say that with a straight face? <laughs> yes, I did say that with a straight face. I mean, yes, of course they cost money, but I mean, I'm I'm just looking at Lauren. God, God bless you, Lauren. You got a hundred hundred thousand dollar income and twenty six thirty six thousand dollars of debt. You are ready to go, 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 go. Paula, he. Uh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Save us, Paula. $36,000 in debt. The, the question that p- random people ask, you know, the question of when are you going to have kids is extremely rude and invasive. And everybody ought to stop asking that. Number one, it's none of their business. Number two, the people who are asking have no idea, A, Maybe the couple is trying to have children and they have fertility problems. And by you asking that, you're bringing up an incredibly emotional and sore subject. B, maybe the couple is dealing with a a family history of sexual abuse or incest or, you know, some other, maybe their family doesn't believe in 
maybe they're having conflicts about related to race or religion. I mean, there is so much that could happen that goes into the decision around having kids that that is like not an appropriate question for anyone to ask. And for some reason, people seem to think that it's okay to ask particularly women in their 20s and 30s, oh, what's going on in your uterus right now? That is BS. Nobody should ever ask that question. You know, Paula, that's exactly why Joel goes up to women and just says, when's the baby due? He just like skips, <laughs> skips right to that. Well, and I usually ask Len Penzo what's going on in his uterus, but I always get awkward responses. So <laughs> my uterus is kind of sore right now. So let's, let's just leave my uterus out of it. After your loss on that history question. <laughs> Was it was it was it very good? But that's a good point, Paula, because really, I, I mean, in getting I was joking there for a second, but getting back serious again, I never understand that question. I'm like, really, when people people are giving Cheryl and I that question at our flipping wedding at my wedding, I'm like, really? Like, I can't just enjoy my wedding. I got to be thinking about now. When do I have my first kid And this pressure from people that I, I don't really care if you care if I have kids or not? I know, right? I have spent a lot of time trying to think of a snarky response that will shut people down. And I I haven't been able to come up with a good one, but it is so annoying to to get that question. It's like, um, it's almost annoying is the question like when Len says to me, hey, Joe, what are you doing on Friday night? You want to hang out? And I got to make up a bunch of baloney answers so I don't have to <laughs> hang, hang out with that guy. <laughs> like, oh, the truth comes out. <laughs> No, hey Joe, how long did you wait? How long did you wait to have kids? Oh, I thought you were asking how long did I wait to start lying, do you? <laughs> I started early and often. Actually, actually, that's interesting because seriously, there's two thoughts around having kids because Cheryl and I did have this very, very we had a great discussion about this. And I don't know, Joel, you might have had the same discussion having kids young. We decided specifically to have kids young because Cheryl's parents were much older, and there was this generation gap between her and her parents parents and they really, while she loves her parents, they weren't on the same page. And my parents had me when, when they were 19, yet now, now my parents are good friends of ours and we can hang out with my parents. And it's just like, and Cheryl said, I want to have more of a relationship like that, where I'm young enough to really enjoy my kids for a long period of time. But on the other hand, our kids watch us struggle like all get, I mean, we really, really struggled because we had no money in the kids' early years. I remember one of the first houses we lived in, one of my daughter's friends came over and said, oh, this is such a cute house. It reminds me of my parents' cottage. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's so nice. Good. Our house is nearly as big as your second house. That's that's great. I'll say this. I barely understand some of the millennials that I work with, and I'm only 34. So understanding my kids and their generation and all the stuff they're going to go through is highly unlikely, no matter that's what, right. no matter what age I had them. Dude, I don't understand Snapchat and half the crap these kids are doing these days. So, but why did you decide uh, to have it? Maybe sound really old. Yeah, but why did you decide to have a kid when you were have kids when you were young? Because I'm guessing that was a conscious decision. Once I'm going where Paula said not to go. Yeah, we chose to do it because we really wanted to have kids. I mean, I think it was just something that both of us really wanted. And that's, that's the only way you can have kids. You got to do it. Yeah. We've both been really thankful for <laughs> I it. I mean, you don't do it. You don't have kids. I mean, Len, you know, Joe, you know, <laughs> it's hard work though, man. It's really, really hard work. Yeah, having but it's kids. fun. Oh, but it's oh, you're talking about doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's literally, it's the greatest and the hardest thing you'll ever do. Yeah. So just know that going into it. And even the way people try to prepare you and say, here's how hard it's going to be. Here are the things that are going to be hard. They didn't fill you in on like more than 5% of how hard it's going to be. 
but they also didn't fill you in on more than 5% of how good it's going to be, man. It's like so amazing too, at the same time, but yeah. you never felt love like that. It's the greatest experience. So, uh, have kids if that's what you want to do and they've got their financial act together, man, just go for it. But if she's asking about it, Paula, if she's asking this question, clearly she doesn't feel financially ready. And maybe some of that debt does have to go just to make her feel better. Yeah, I think it's it's perfectly reasonable to to do it when you feel ready to do it, whatever that means to you. I don't think there's any objective standard that you have to meet. It's just do it when it feels right. And if you are hesitating, are you hesitating because of the finances or are you using finances as an excuse or as a smokescreen for other hesitations that have other roots or other causes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think if you get super into your finances and optimizing your finances and figuring things out, you can put off a million things that you want to do, even though you're prepared to do those things. And so, Mm -hmm. and I I think this is probably one of those cases where Lauren might be overthinking things just a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to put words into Lauren's mouth or anything like that, but your finances, it sounds like they're pretty well put together. And it sounds like you're just not ready to jump because you're waiting for something that you don't know what it is financially. Other you don't stuff. have this goal in mind. And I think it's okay if you have a hard goal that you want to hit. Listen, once we've got this $10,000 in debt paid off, which will be in the next six months, then we're ready. But uh, you literally will never feel like you're financially ready. And so at some point, you just have to make a move. Just do it. Uh, as Nike says, thanks for the uh, question, Lauren. We also get letters down here. And uh, Doug just... Uh, He's walking a little wobbly, but just brought down the mail. I think not eating lamb for three days before the big shrimp uh, all-you-can-eat thing is a bad idea. Uh, it's just a bad idea. Uh, Sarah says, uh, we're a single-income family. I currently stay home with our three-year-old. My husband is active duty within three to five years from military retirement. We struggle with infertility and are wanting to fund another round of treatment. It'll be about $7,000. We currently contribute 17% to his raw thrift savings plan. Balance in the thrift savings is $58,000. We have a $13,000 emergency savings account. Our debt is $10,000 for a vehicle and $6,500 at 0% interest until April 2019 credit card uh, from their last IVF cycle. After all said and done, we have less than $200 left at the end of each month. We're debating the best way to fund this considering the transitions that are going to happen within the next three to five years. Our goals would be to buy a home post-military retirement. My husband drives a paid-off older truck that will eventually need to be replaced. We plan on saving our tax return to go toward it, but I'm nervous to use anything from our emergency fund. My gut says to leave the thrift savings plan alone completely. I struggle knowing doing this treatment may postpone our other plans, and we just don't have enough to do it all. Should we not do the in vitro fertilization at all thoughts that we have man there's a there's a heavy question uh paula thoughts yeah um so i i spent some time thinking about this what i think don't touch any of your other savings uh keep your when it comes to your your home and your retirement and preparing to replace your husband's vehicle keep all of those plans as is And then in terms of saving, you need to save $7,000 for the next IVF round. Uh, What I would like to see is for you to boost your income. Um, I know that you're staying at home with your three-year-old, but if you can find a way to make $500 a month after taxes, just $500 a month after taxes. So, you know, money that you can make online while your kid's asleep, you know, that would be enough that in 14 months, you'd have $7,000. You'd have enough money to pay for the next IVF round. 
Len like that plan? Yeah, I, I, I thought that Paula stole my answer. I was going to say, yeah, try, see, see if you could squeak out a few extra hundred bucks a month and you'll have your $7,000. Can I bring, I'll, I'll bring up one other alternative. Uh, I'm a little biased, but uh, how about looking at adoption? There is, for example, a tax credit of $12,000 if money is an object. You can take advantage of a $12,000 tax credit for adopting a child. And that usually for – there are ways to adopt children for under that amount of money. So you can actually – it doesn't cost anything. And, and like I said, as I'm, an, I'm, I'm adopted. And, Paul, I think you're adopted too. Yeah, right? I'm adopted so too. Both, so, uh, you know, just uh, – that's another option. Yep. That's a great testament for, I mean, for, for people that looking for a loving home, like clearly this sounds like from the letter, if she's worried about this, this much, I mean, she's really going to love, love the child. Uh, Joel thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think those are both great options. Anytime you can, you know, squeeze a little bit more out of savings, make a little bit more money, consider adoption. I think those are, those are great things. But I, her question at the end, man, it just like kind of hurts my heart a little bit. Should we not do the IVF at all? I think you and your husband sounds like you've been through a lot trying to have kids and you don't want to give up on this dream. I mean, I understand for, uh, for people I've known that have had a hard time having kids, it's incredibly painful. And that hope that lies at the end of the tunnel of having kids don't forsake it just because of money. And I would even say, and I, I would never tell almost anyone this, this is like an almost never thing, but if you needed to reduce how much you contribute to your retirement accounts for a time in order to make this happen, I would say do it. Retirement's still a ways off. And literally, I would tell almost no one to do that. But you're saving 17% in your Roth TSP. That's amazing. You can back that down for a time to 12 or 13% to save some extra money to do the IVF treatment. And I think if you plan to do that just for a time and put that back up to pursue this thing that is such a beautiful thing and such a heart's desire, don't let money stand in the way of something that's going to change your life and your family that much. Yeah, it sounds. I mean, this this seems like the main goal. I mean, this this really sounds in this letter like the goal. And why do you give up the goal for secondary goals? I agree with that. But to Paul's point, Joel, making extra money is always so much easier than people think it is in their head. It's so much easier. No doubt, I totally agree. Especially with the internet. Obviously, there's a million ways you can make money online, and a lot of people think you know starting a blog that's my key to making money. Probably not uh, for a lot of people out there. But there's a lot of ways that you can make $15, $16, $17 an hour through legitimate work at home. And there are some, a lot of scammy resources out there, but there's a lot of good resources out there as well to help you figure out what is legitimate and what's illegitimate when it comes to work at home online. But that's a great thing. You know, like Paula said, while your kid's napping, make some extra money, you know, while your kid's sleeping at night, like stay up a little bit at at night and, and work a little bit then too. And I think you'll look back and say, man, that was well worth it. Yeah, there's a resource to your point. There's a resource I like called uh, FlexJobs, flexjobs.com. Big listing of all kinds of flexible work opportunities online. You guys, uh, Paula, Len, know any other resources we could help her with? Yeah, uh, Side Hustle Nation by Nick Lowe. Oh, yeah. Both a blog and a podcast. Yeah, Nick's been, on, Nick's been on your show and on ours. Yes, yeah, he's he's been on both of our shows, so you can go listen to his interview on both of our shows. But he is incredible at putting together not just listing opportunities, but also giving you a framework to understand the different opportunities. Like I like how he breaks down different types of side hustle opportunities so you can figure out not just what specifically what gig you want, but broadly what uh, type of 
strategy you're pursuing. But to Joel's point, Len, he talks about maybe not blog. I mean, blogging is a lot different than it was when you started. Yeah, you can make money at it. It takes time. I don't know anybody that can that can make money out of the gate. It it takes a it takes a couple of years to get going before you can start making any appreciable money at it. But yeah, you know, hey, and Google is your friend. Just uh, seriously, I, this might sound flippant, but if you just Google easy ways to make money, you'll find lots of articles with great ideas. Really, out there, really, I mean it. Yeah, you'll find all the spammy ones and all the good yeah, ones. No. <laughs> I was going to say, just be cautious when doing that because <laughs> you Google that, there's also a lot of shady crap that comes up too. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for our show, uh, head to stackybenjamins.com and you'll see right at the top questions. Click that link and you'll see all the ways that you can uh, interface with the show. That's going to do it for today. Thanks for helping out, team. Uh, let's talk about what's going on where you live. Uh, let's start with you, Mr. Penzo. What's happening at that crazily titled lenpenzo.com oh the legacy articles are coming out again oh it's man paula pant this week paula pant on lenpenzo.com paula do you remember this article you wrote seven money skills my immigrant parents taught me wow. it's an oldie but goodie back when I, paula was just starting out i wrote that many many years ago yeah it's an oldie paula's like oh crap <laughs> I That's wonder what I said. <laughs> well, stop on by and read it. Your parents taught you how to Google uh, easy jobs online. <laughs> and that's how you ended up on this podcast, right? Paula, what's happening at affordanything.com? Uh, at affordanything.com, I have a new blog post out, which is, uh, that's that's news in and of itself. It's the first time I've written something, uh, published something since November. So please go by to check it out because uh, it's, it's awesome if I do say so myself. I also, on the Afford Anything podcast, have an interview with Dr. Wade Fow. He is a retirement researcher. He's a professor of retirement income, which is a job that I didn't even know existed. And he talks about different strategies for retirement. It's it's a very meaty, academic, heady conversation. Very, uh, very dense, but incredible. So come on over to the Afford Anything podcast to check that out. I love how you blow holes in that interview. You blow holes in some common retirement planning assumptions. Oh, so you saw my Instagram post. Well, well, I'll tell you. Well, and I know Wade's work too. And uh, yeah, you guys, uh, you guys blow that, which is good because that needs to be blown up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the four percent withdrawal rate. We talk, I wasn't going to say it. it. Yeah. I was going to make them listen, and you blew it. Uh, Steve, cut that. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Uh, uh, they want to know. People who don't know what the 4% rule is, they'll be they'll be fine. But anyway, great stuff, as always, at the Afford Anything podcast. Joel, thanks for joining us again, man. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's, let's talk about Poor Not Poor. So you work uh, at this crazy place called uh, Clark Howard, uh, whatever that is, whoever that is. I have no idea who. Yeah, uh, I don't. Most people probably don't know who that dude is, right? Clark, no idea who that is. And then your partner in crime at Poor Not Poor, Matt, is a wedding photographer? That's right. Yep. And so we're having a blast. Like, literally, like I said earlier, like, we just get together, drink beer, and talk about some of our favorite money topics. The last episode of the podcast, we talked about how to save money on craft beer. Which so is... We got, like, went super meta with it. Right. You did, but you also talk about traveling with purpose on the cheap what to do with your tax refund, nerdy board games, which is my favorite episode of all time, you know? 
I know, dude, we need to talk about that at some point because I know, and I can see behind you, even while we're recording this, you have the same passion for nerdy board games that I do. And so at minimum, we need to get together and play soon. Oh, those Maybe are, we'll invite Len Penzo. Maybe. Those aren't my board games. Those are mom's. No, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, oh, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Hey, do you ever play Dungeons and Dragons? Might be a little too nerdy for me, Lance. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're on the nerd meter, but not that far over on the nerd have meter. Have you guys ever been to an escape room? You know, one of those live escape games. I heard those are a blast. Those are amazing. I, I went to I one for the first in. time like two weeks ago, and. Whew, Mind blown. It's like my new favorite hobby. I think I've only done it once. I think you would oh love God, one of those. I, I was going to say, Len, I thought you'd really enjoy one of those. I would. I would I would love it. Yeah, my, my daughter went down to downtown L.A. and went to one. She uh, had a good time, really good time. They do have those now as board games, by the way, where you can play them at home. You can go to your friendly local game store and pick up ones that are just play at home in your living room now too. So not that I know anything about board games, so we can we can move on. Well, you know, we could use we could use, you know what I could lock everybody in the bunker and uh, we could I could fix have you guys set something up and have you guys trapped down there. Yeah, that doesn't sound creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, when you come to Vegas, escape room. Let's do that. Nick, my son yeah. will love that. All right, uh, Doug, that's going to do it for today. Tell us what we should have learned. So what did we learn today? First, interested in saving but having a hard time? Use tricks like automatic savings plans to fool yourself into becoming financially independent. Second, worried about your taxes? Don't believe some of the popular tax myths. Go find out the rules for yourself. Heck, you can even take our cheat on your taxes course if you want to know how taxes work. But the big lesson? Don't expect Cool Ranch Doritos to last in the pantry when your friend hasn't eaten for three days. Come on, Joe, I'm a man, not a machine. Oh man, but the worst news? I'm not even hungry anymore for the all-you-can-eat shrimp night at the Sizzler. Luckily, Gertrude can really pack those little puppies away. She'll make sure we get our money's worth. Special thanks to Joel Larsgaard for stopping by. You'll find his Poor Not Poor podcast wherever you're hearing my golden voice. Thanks to Charles from Equity Multiple for showing off his real estate investing firm. Remember, we don't endorse any of the companies on our Friday FinTech segment, but if you'd like more information, you'll find them at equitymultiple.com. Len Penzo appears courtesy of the cryptically named LenPenzo.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to StackingBenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the after show, the part of the show that doesn't exist. Joel, I don't know if you know this, but what happens here stays here. All right. We don't talk about this at all. Uh, and for those people that are looking for more financial talk, yeah, we'll see you next time because we don't even do that on the after show. I found this piece and I thought that we all might have some awkward uh, airplane stories. I mean, we've all been on uh, our share of uh, airplanes. Uh, this one just was a little bit out there. This is written by David Moy on uh, Huffington Post. Farting passenger forces plane to make emergency landing. <laughs> a fight broke out because the unnamed man couldn't stop passing gas. You know it's bad when people are fighting because you're passing so, so much gas. And then, of course, you know, our friend uh, David Moy couldn't uh, hold back here. He says, sometimes plane travel really stinks. A flight from Dubai to Amsterdam had to make an emergency landing in Vienna after a fight broke out because one of the passengers wouldn't stop breaking wind. The fart-induced fracas happened February 11th aboard Transavia Airlines uh, when two men sitting next to an apparently very flatulent man raised a stink about his repeated gas attacks. When the alleged perpetrator didn't stop, his disgusted seatmates reportedly complained to the airline crew, who apparently did nothing. Instead, the captain issued a warning to the two complainants, accusing them of noisy and aggressive behavior, making threats. When the freedom from flatulence fighters wouldn't stop griping about their fellow passenger, a fight broke out on the plane. And then it just goes down from there. The pilots had to make an emergency stop in Vienna. Paula Pant, has that happened to you? Uh, so first of all, one thing that I think is interesting about the story is the flight was from Dubai to Amsterdam and the emergency stop was in Vienna. They almost <laughs> made it to the destination, right? Like, why would you make an emergency stop in Vienna when you're flying to Amsterdam? I was going to say, you probably got, what, 20 minutes more airtime total? Right, exactly. <laughs> you got so close. And don't they know that Vienna is the home of Vienna sausages? And it doesn't anything give you more just, gas than Vienna sausages and beer? Just gonna, I mean, that's just, that's crazy. Ask, ask him, adding insult to injury, Mr. Penzo. Insult to injury right there. <laughs> yeah. The state of flying is getting rough right now. Like with United just beating the crap out of people and pulling them off planes. And then now this, I mean, I don't want to get on an airplane now. I know. But this wasn't the airline's fault. I mean, this dude wouldn't quit passing gas. But Paula, uh, tell us your worst uh, airline story. Well, so the thing that this story reminded me of, so there's a part in this article where it talks about how uh, there were actually, what, four passengers on that flight who ended up getting kicked off. There were the two men who got into a fight with the the farting dude. But then there were also two other women who also got kicked off of that flight, and they are now suing the airline. That's a little bit further down in the article, yes? Yes, and so the two women who got kicked off are saying, hey, we had nothing to do with it. We just happened to be sitting in the same row. So why did you kick us off? And that actually reminded me of this experience I once had on an airline where uh, Will and I were sitting in – it was a fairly empty flight. Will and I are sitting in this particular row. And then the same row across the aisle, nobody was sitting in it. But because the seats were empty, these two random people – decided to come sit in it, even though they weren't midway through the flight, they decided to come sit in it, even though it wasn't their assigned seat. Because they were probably middle seaters or something. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. For, for some reason, they decided they'd rather sit in this row. So they did, which was fine, except then they started being super rowdy, making a big, loud disturbance on the plane. So the plane lands and we get off the flight and I guess the airline staff had called in these people 
the disturbance based on the row number, and we were the only two ticketed passengers for that row. Oh, you're kidding me. So we got identified as those people and paged over the airport like intercom system. So we show up and the staffer for the airline was like, well, do you want to explain what that was all about? And we were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, and she was like, yes, you do. You know, what you, and, and I, we genuinely had no idea what she was talking about because we hadn't made the connection that they were blaming us for the behavior of these other people. So she was like, you know what I'm talking about. And we're like, no, we don't. And and that went on for a while before we figured it out. Did they take your word for it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were like, hey, well, because what we did was we described the people. I was like, so one of the passengers had blue hair. And she was like, yes, that matches what the airline staff told us. And I was so like, well, neither, neither <laughs> Will nor I have blue hair. So, you know, it may not have been us. <laughs> Oh, that's why Len covers up his blue hair. <laughs> Len, uh, Len, you got one yes. for us? Uh, no, but I, you know what? Those are some pretty loud farts, right? I mean, it's, is that what the guy, I mean, are they just, were they hearing them or were they smelling them or what, how did they know who was doing it? That's what I, I want to know. Loud, I don't think it's the loudness that got Yeah, but them. then how do you know who was doing it? How do you know? How did they how did they center on this this one guy and say you are the man who's farted? You the, can't the, tell. the gas you is can't hear the, the gas has got to be emanating from somewhere. I mean, I, <laughs> it's a plane. There's people all in the general vicinity. How do you you, you cannot put the ID. You cannot finger the right man. I don't think I'd say prove it. Prove I, it was me. Prove it was me. <laughs> Pull my finger. <laughs> Joel, you fly a fair amount. Tell me you've had an ugliness on an airline story. Not really, man. I, they, I've been really fortunate. Uh, you know, I, I haven't had any terrible airline experiences, but uh, man, at some point you just have to like see if you can move or just plug your nose and just hold it. Like, But man, to make a ruckus on an airplane, I just can't see almost anything causing me to make a ruckus on an airplane. I'm like, about hundred, like tens of thousands of feet up in the air. Like, Why in the hell would I make a ruckus on an airplane? There's no need for that. I was on a flight one time and I'm sitting in the middle seat, which sucks because I'm six one. I'm not Joel Largeguard tall, but I'm That's true. But I'm tall enough that that sitting in the middle seat really, really sucks. And so I'm uh, I'm sitting there and there's a there's there's a young professional woman sitting on the aisle and we take off and maybe ten minutes into flight, I see her head start to nod a little bit and it nods a little more. And then it starts coming toward me. And then she lays her head on my shoulder and she proceeds to sleep for the next hour and a half (laughs) on my shoulder. And I just, I don't know what to do. And I really, you know, and I don't want to wake her up. She's sleeping soundly. And the bad news is she like drools on my shirt. (laughs) You're so good at making friends, Joe. It was so it was so awkward. I felt so bad for like the longer it went, the more awkward it got. I'm like, what do I do? Do I wake her up? Do I like nudge? Do I pretend I'm moving her up? So, but I just sat still and oh my god, when she got up, I've I have rarely seen someone that embarrassed. Like it was, oh, I'm sorry. At first it was, at first it was like that look of like, where am I? And then she kind of looks up at me and gives me this, oh my God. You should have just looked at her and said, was it good for you? (laughs) 
I'm like, yeah, thank you for the best hour and a half <laughs> of this guy's life. Yes. No, that was, it was so, it was so awkward. It was so, so, so awkward. But anyway, that's mine. All right. Uh, please uh, try not to fart on a plane. Can they hear? Can pe- maybe people can hear hear them if uh, they got the noise canceling headphones on? You think that's how they did it? Like some guy had noise canceling headphones, and then he could finger the guy who was actually doing it. What, does, what, what are you talking about? It's noise canceling, canceling out all the other noise except the fart noise. Yeah, <laughs> he's got fart optimization headphones. No, I know is that guy. How do what those Bose things are for? <laughs> for a guy who's an engineer, you know suspiciously little about technology. <laughs> uh, Joe, I can see why you uh, make up excuses not to hang out with Len sometimes. Holy cow. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This military appreciation month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.